Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. Oh, so curious. Oh, so curious. Uh -uh. Anyway, I'm done doing that now. On today's episode, I'm joined by the one, the only, Lee Hennessy, where I ask him, what's it like to be a farmer who happens to be trans? Oh, welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and have we got a special episode for you. We are going to talk about something that I am obsessed with, farming. We have to welcome our guest to the show, the one, the only, the icon, also friend of the show, Lee Hennessy, who is the owner and operator of Moxie Ridge, a small farm and creamery in rural upstate New York, who, by the way, has the most incredible cheese you've ever even thought about having. I've had it myself, so we could add cheesemaker to the list. Ah, Lee, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm so excited to be here. It's, I've never been interviewed by a two-time New York Times bestseller before. Um, are you like trying to make me blush first thing in the morning? <laughs> I'm obsessed. Basically, today I wanted to talk about you farming. Um, I feel like coming from inside the gender diverse, uh, community myself, it's giving me like, you know, the word transform. Then there's trans farm. And then I was like, honey, you're a trans farmer, which is so cool because it's a lot, I would imagine, having a farm anyway, but then you have like this gorgeous added intersectionality of being a gorgeous trans person um, who is also a farmer. You have like the most incredible story. I got to meet you in 2021, a long, long time ago, and you are just one of my very favorite people and I'm so excited that you're here. How are you? What's going on? I'm doing good. We're taping this in the end of May. And so like spring is pretty intense. If you were to like walk around, it's nice because, you know, I'm like surrounded by lilacs and irises and stuff, but I'm also like eyeballs deep in baby goats and there's been a lot of birthing and stuff. So this is the time of year when I'm like, I look back and I'm like, how do I do that? Those are long days or that was so intense. But like, there's something about, you know, when the days start getting longer and like we get into the real work where it's like I get really energized. Um, so it's kind of like a combination right now of me like running on fumes and me just like being so excited to get up and rolling. Ah, oh, that sounds familiar to my life. Uh, <laughs> so basically, just to give people like a scene, Moxie Ridge is this gorgeous farm like north of Manhattan because it's in upstate New York. It's like very idyllic. It's giving you like mountains and like gorgeousness. Like it's very outdoors. It's really pretty. I got the pleasure of going there myself, honey. How many acres is that? It's like so many acres. It is 46 acres, which in farming is like a, a pretty small amount. Really? Um, yeah, it's wild. I was so happy to have access to this, but yeah especially for livestock and for grazing animals, you want to be able to move them around. Um, it's healthier for them. If you can say, okay, you graze here and then we give that area a rest for the land and everything else. And then you can come back to it. So the more land, you know, the easier it is to, to do that. But yeah, 46 acres. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and then springtime is when all the goats have their babies. Yes. 
So yes. did you have any triplets? We did have triplets. Oh my God, really? Isn't that kind of rare yep. with goats? The, we have a couple girls that um, usually have triplets. So little sister is one of our previous queens and like she's still in the herd. She just like kind of was unseated. Um, and like she always has triplets. She had triplets again this year. A couple of the others that usually have triplets like didn't. So it was her and one other goat named Abrams that had triplets this year. Has there ever been quadruplets? I have not had quadruplets from uh, any of my goats, but there are different breeds of goats, like the smaller breeds. So whether they're pygmies or dwarfs, like they have what are called like multiple. So they'll tend to have, you know, triplets can have quadruplets oh. more often. Whereas the standard standard breeds just mean like kind of full size tend to twin. And so we had mostly twins this year. We had about 40 births and we have about 80, 80 babies. So do you like sell the babies to other goat farms or something? Or are you just going to keep getting bigger and bigger? This is kind of, of course, I didn't mean to go on this track, but now I got obsessed with goats. So I just, I have yes, to ask. I yes. can't help it. Um, some of them will keep so we can retire some of the milkers out of our herd. Um, so when we decide who to keep, we think about, you know, the mom, we think about the sire, the dad, um, and like, who's going to work really well here in that herd. Um, we do sell to, uh, individuals and to farms as well. I tend to be really careful about selling to individuals, especially when they're babies, because like Everybody loves baby goat. They're amazing. They're adorable. They're very sweet. But people also think that like goats can eat anything. And so they're like, oh, this is going to be easy. And it's like, goats can eat anything, but like, so can a toddler. Cause they would like fuck up our garden, right? Like I should not get a goat because they will like eat all my pumpkins and my eggplants and they'll like eat my whole yard and I'll be devastated. Right. If you were to get a goat and you let them in the garden, they would find it delicious. I mean, sure. They would thank you afterwards, but yeah, you would be heartbroken. Because I do find goats incredibly cute. Like, they're next level, the cutest yes. babies. Yes, agree. Hard agree. But Blame we just that. shouldn't be, like, rogue adopting them if you don't live on a farm is the thing, too. Because I, I need to remind myself. Because I'm also battling, yeah. like, a wanting to adopt a pig. I'm battling my inner seven-year-old. I'm really going so off track. I need to come back. Animals are great. Let's go. But from a professional <laughs> farmer, you can tell me that I should probably not adopt and like go with what my husband says and not adopting a pig or a goat in our backyard, right? Or should I? I think as long as you are committed to like the care that the animal needs, um, then, you know, then it's up to you and your husband uh, and your city zoning. We, he says we have to like live in a farm first. And I tend to agree because I don't know anything about, I don't know anything about I it. I guess you're just going to have to get a farm, Jonathan. Someday. Okay, wait. So right now you're, you're elbow deep in goats. We do yes. sell some sometimes, but then sometimes they just stay on the farm and then you just have like a bigger, more gorgeous, stronger herd. Is that what happens? Yep. And we also raise meat goats as well. So some goats, like the, the goats that we raise for me are, we decide, okay, this is a meat go kind of from birth. So like our milkers that work for us for years and years and years, they retire. They, they don't become meat goats. Some, some of the babies that we have this year will go into our meat herd. And, you know, we'll talk more about this in terms of like how I approach farming and how like, you know, quote unquote outsiders approach farming. But 
Um, you know, all of those goats have names. We do frolics. Everybody gets treated the same. So from, from the babies that are born this year, we'll have some that will eventually become meat and will feed other people in our community. Some will be adopted out to farms and some will go into our herd to, uh, to be milking. Did I just hear some of your cute goats in the background? Yeah. I love them. <laughs> this is such a cool episode. We're obsessed. So, cause right now we're in May. So we're just giving you like the farm is farming. It's giving like mini blooming flowers, mini like goats. Like we got triplets. We got twins. We also got some like single births up in there. We just got, you know, all the goats. Um, and then not to not talk about goats, but do chickens just like, do they have babies all year round except for winter or do they have like a chick season too? So for up here in the Northeast, we're like, um, where you described us like straight up from New York city is like entirely accurate. We're basically between the Hudson river and, and Vermont. So, um, the chickens will basically lay eggs, which could potentially become chicks. Um, pretty seasonally that's based on the amount of sunlight that they get. So for example, you know, if you had chicken, I don't want to put ideas in your head to cause marital strife, but like if you had chicken, we do have three chickens. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So if you want um, eggs all year round, you would put lights in their coop in the winter time and they would lay their eggs in the winter time for you. I am just like, let your bodies do your bodies. It's fine. We're old fashioned here. So they kind of take a break in the winter time. Um, but then in order to have chicks, not only does the rooster have to have fertilized the egg, which like you've been here, we have a million roosters. Um, but they also need to sit on it and, and incubate it. Um, and so that behavior is also driven seasonally a lot of the time. So usually you see chicks in like the spring and summertime. We have girl chickens, so they lay eggs a lot. If we had a rooster, do chickens like do it? And then the chicken sperm swims through like, and look who's talking now. And like the little sperm like goes into the huge egg and then it is in the egg and then she pushes the egg out and then she has to sit on it. How does that work? How are we fertilizing <laughs> chicken eggs? From what I understand, and I'd recommend talking to an expert about it because I'm just the farmer that does it. The opening is a cloaca and when they have intercourse, it's called a cloacal kiss where like the two cloacas will like connect to each other. And then what needs to go from the rooster to the hen will will like, no, it's got a super highway. I like the look who's talking. Yeah, I'm going to go We got to do it like a look who's talking for chicks, like on a different episode with like chicken reproduction. Because it just yes. occurred to me like last week, I was like, Mark, can we at least have chicken babies? Because our little Dorothea had a heat stroke and dropped dead having an egg like a month ago. Because oh, there was like a hundred degree day and she just like, yeah. she just got too hot and Mark was devastated. So I was like... Should we have two chickens to replace her? And Mark was like, I'm mm-hmm. not ready. And I was like, okay, fine. I read the recent memoir. I know the pattern. Like, <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's my Charlotte's Web rule. It's a thing. Yes, so yes. right now it's May. And, you know, it's kind of like, it was still kind of chilly in New York like a month ago. Like, you were still having, like, spring. But this is going to air in June. So, like, what's the vibe as folks are listening to this in June mm-hmm. at Moxie Ridge? Is it, like, hotter? Are we not having having the goat babies now? Like, little goat babies milking with mom? Is that what it is? So, in June, the births are going to be pretty much done. I love flowers. We don't do flowers as a part of the farm. We just do flowers because I love it. It's kind of like your pumpkins. And so like June is getting into like peony season and stuff. So like 
it calms down a little bit. Um, the babies that we have, because we are a dairy, and this kind of goes into, um, you know, the food system and stuff, because we're a dairy, we utilize the milk from the moms mm. in order to make cheese. And that means that if the babies were on the moms drinking all of their milk, then we wouldn't have cheese. Like that's dairy. And so uh, sometimes you'll keep the babies on the moms until they need to be weaned and then you'll remove them. And then the moms will go and start milking. A lot of times people do that with sheep. For us, we remove the babies like really early on so that it's less stressful for the babies and for the moms, which means that the babies all grow up in like with each other in these cohorts. Um, and they bond pretty hardcore, like with their cohorts. And so our job is to feed them. They get milk. If they need like special supplements and stuff like that, we can handle it. Is it like goat formula? Yeah, we can do, we do goat formula sometimes too. It's called milk replacer. Is there a goat formula shortage? There is not a goat formula shortage. Okay, good. Just making sure. So a lot of times with livestock farming, um, or pretty much the whole thing about livestock farming is like, caring for your animals and making sure that they're healthy. And that means you need to understand what can make them not healthy. Um, so one of the things that is like the biggest danger to especially baby goats is called coccidiosis, um, which is a bacterial issue. It'll cause scours, which is like the, how you say diarrhea and like farm animals. And it can kill them like really, really quickly. And so anytime that the babies are stressed, their immune system goes down and this can kind of take over. So we would do a replacer that can protect against um, coccidiosis in that, in that situation. And yeah, that was kind of tough to find. The whole supply chain thing is really wild for operations like this, for sure. So... I can't imagine like the amount of like intense paragraphs that you would have to say verbally as like a farmer, like just things that other people would never have to say. Like I couldn't find the replacer for the coccidiosis or whatever for the, Mm -hmm. for my baby goats, you know, it's just like, it's it's like, that's such a paragraph to wrap your head around. So since summer's giving like warmer flowers, everyone's kind of in their cohorts at that point. Everybody's in their cohorts. They're like, kind of coming off of their replacer and they're like into like full baby goat. Baby goats love parkour. Like parkour is like a whole thing. We already have like some parkour masters in, in our baby barns right now that alleviates some of like the intensity for us. Um, because that's also a really like vulnerable time for them. But the other big part about June that I almost forgot about is like our cheese making. Markets are at our highest. We're at the Union Square Market in New York City on Saturdays. Normally we just go down with like coolers and coolers and coolers and coolers and coolers full of Bulgarian feta, which is like kind of what we're known for. Can I tell you? Yes. I literally my whole life thought that I didn't like feta. Like I literally thought I hated feta because I thought that it was blue cheese without the blue stuff. So I thought it was a taste I didn't like. But meanwhile, I'm obsessed with goat cheese. So then my husband was like, how the fuck don't you like feta? And I was like, because it's blue. And he was like, girl, that's not blue cheese. And I was like, are you sure? (laughs) And so it turns out your feta smacked my fucking nussy is what I call my non-binary. This is like disgusting, but I do. You know, my nussy is my non-binary. You know, that's yes. My nussy was like, what the fuck? 
your feta, I actually just got chills on my quad. So if you guys ever find yourself in like Union Square on a Saturday, run, don't walk. But it, it really is just, it's that level. So, so what's, so Bulga- what kind of feta now? What did you just say? Ooh. So we make Bulgarian feta, but I have like a little bit of info as to like why our feta could have been a gateway feta for you. Your husband's not from the U.S. So like he was like, oh, this makes no sense, Jonathan. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Because when we make feta here, the food industry here is very based on cows. Cows can produce a lot of milk. You can have, you know, farms with a lot of infrastructure that have a lot of cows. It's easy to get to market. We've got all our laws and things around cow milk. So they make feta from cow milk because that's what's available. There's feta in so many different countries. There's feta in Bulgaria and Turkey and, you know, Greece, obviously. So is feta a technique? It's not a type of cheese from a certain type of animal? It is kind of like a combination of those two. It's basically, it's a type of cheese, just like cheddar is a type of cheese, right? If you think about those countries that are around the Mediterranean making feta, they usually are relying on historically sheep and goats, so feta is usually made from sheep and goat milk, which is why it makes sense that you like it. But when we make feta in this country, we make it with cow milk. But in order to make it taste a little more like, you know, authentic feta, sheep and goat milk, we add an enzyme called lipase. And that's what causes that kind of like sharp back of your mouth, like tanginess, like to cow feta that a lot of people don't like. But if you have like a sheep fed, it doesn't have to be mine. You know, if you have a goat fed or a sheep fed or whatever, you'll have a tanginess kind of in the front of your mouth. And that's kind of what it's meant to emulate. Yeah, because now ever since you're fed and now I fuck with because I can't I'm I'm in Austin. So I don't I can't get over. So it's like now I, I eat fed. I'm I am like a fed girl now. So I love thank it. you. I really you're appreciate welcome. So, okay, so so that's summer, and then summer's like June, July, August, then like, and you don't grow pumpkins, right? We don't. We're going to try some winter squash because goat cheese and squash blossoms are like a thing, and also I just love, like you love pumpkins, I love like weird winter squashes, so we're doing some this year. You could, I'm not advocating for pumpkins when I wasn't meaning to, but you could just throw a few in there. You got like, a little bit of brew. You could just, just like try one or two, maybe just like one or two, just somewhere on that farm. That's a big ass farm. You could just, maybe just like one or two. I will do that. They're really cute. Do you, uh, anyway, I didn't mean to go there. I always get a little saddy kins with our garden. I like to tell Mark that like, I'm like, I'll say like, babe, are you a farmer? Like when we're working in our garden and then I'm sure like the farmers are like, shut up. But I just feel so farmery. Like when I'm out there on our like five raised vegetable beds, I just feel so nature. But I get a little sad, honey, because it's like August, September and things start to get a little bit like dying and a little bit like, oh, I can see the neighbors again because leaves are falling off the trees. So it's like, yeah. what's your vibe for fall? Uh, on the farm. I never was a fall guy ever. My birthday is in spring. So it's always about spring. Like I love the heat. It was all about the summer. But now like I-, I love fall because the days start getting shorter. And so on this farm, cause we've got, you know, sheep, goats, a couple of enormous horses, chicken, you know, we've got all of this stuff plus pigs. So the days are long and the animals are just active until the day is over. So it's like my day doesn't end until like nine o'clock. Right. But we got the days getting shorter in the fall. And so I get a little bit more of a rest. Um, things are like starting to calm down a little bit. The babies are kind of like full goats. The ones that are going off to new homes are going off to new homes. Like 
we're starting to get like the the last of the grasses for grazing, starting to figure out our hay situation for over the winter because that's what the animals are going to eat over the winter is hay. Oh. Um, and so that type of thing, like it's usually a little bit relaxing. And then there's like the farm side of things, which is caring for everything. But then every farmer also has to be a business person, right? And so on the cheese side, it's like, we're getting ready for like the fall holidays, October, November, December. We're getting our hard cheeses ready to go. People want to buy a lot of different types of cheeses, our like fancy bloomy rind cheeses and stuff. So our production kind of changes. And then we get ready to not have any more goat milk because our girls are seasonal. And so, you know, when they're done milking, they stop and they get a little vacay. Um, so we have to kind of prepare for that. But that's also where keeping food comes in, which is like what I'm so obsessed about is kind of like our our older historical ancestral ways of producing food and then keeping it over the winter. Um, so cheese is a great way to keep food. You know, feta, you'd take your last kind of milk from the season and you'd make it all, you'd put it into a brine and you'd keep it in the brine and you'd have cheese all winter. Um, mm. And the same thing, you know, with any kind of fermentation and cultures all across the world. So that's kind of when we start to get into that kind of like autumn maker handmade kind of vibe. So just so that you guys can like imagine. So like when you come on this front, there's like this gorgeous house and like that's where you live. And then like over to the right, there's like this like chicken area with this like chicken coop. And then over to the like the left, there's these like, you know, like like different barns. And then like kind of behind that, there's like these hills. So if you can imagine like having to do fucking like hill sprints, like if, if, you, if you were like, oh, I got to go get my dog or whatever, you know, like it's just it's a lot of work. Because like if you're going to deal with the ghost, just so you guys can have an image of this, it's like you're walking like, you know, in six or 46 acres. So even in farm world, if that's smaller, it's still like a long ass way to like walk all over the place all the time. And you're like up hills, down hills, chasing goats, getting them to the barn. It's just like a lot. It's like a lot of like manual like labor. And then I think when I was there, I think so the, you have the most goats, yeah. then chickens, then sheep, then pigs. Yep. Pigs are seasonal. So we'll purchase in. Uh, pigs right after they've been weaned. So right after they're like, they don't need to drink milk anymore. And then we raise them in, I don't know if you got to go down and see it, but in like a, a few acres of wooded area that have hickory trees and um, oak trees. And that's where they hang out is in the woods. Um, and they'll root for the nuts at the end of the year. So we do like a very special acorn finished pork and hickory finished pork, which is like, again, my jam, super traditional, very ancestrally do it. And, you know, and on the Iberian Peninsula and also in Parma still. Um, and like we feed them whey every day. That's like their treat. As we're making all this cheese from the creamery, of course, you get curds and whey from cheese making. And so we take that whey, which is the liquid, um, and we'll bring it down and we'll feed it to the pigs. And it's a lovely form of protein for them, just like we have our whey protein shapes. And so, but then that means that like they get the treats and then does that mean in like fall, they like go to the, so they got to, they just, you know, they like the piggies and that's probably why I didn't see them. Cause they were like, not. Yeah. Uh, so we don't overwinter pigs for the acorn finish pigs. We found that like, if we keep them into the winter time and let them kind of like naturally adjust, of course, before the weather gets really gnarly, um, it, it makes for 
a much more interesting pork and much more interesting meat. You get different fat marbling, you get different muscle structure. That would be like our last group that we do. Our butcher is literally right down the road. Um, and we, you know, the way that we work with the animals here is kind of the reason why I have the farm. It's all behavioral based, you know, it's herdsmanship. It's not, you know, forcing anybody to do anything. It's creating really good choices for them. Um, so we work really hard to try and be able to, you know, whether it's our sheep or our goats or whatever, to make it really relaxing for them and not stressful, um, for them to go to the butcher, butcher, um, was animal welfare approved and the folks that are working there, um, like I, I text them, like they also mm. own goats, like they, they get it. Um, which is the type of production that like, I really believe in. I think if you're going to be producing meat, you're responsible, not just for the lives, but also for their last day. So has this is also off track, but I just, mm-hmm. um, have you ever like raised a pig and you're just like, oh, I love you too much. You're too cute. You're going to be my pet. Yep. Her name was Destiny. But she just died of old age and that's why her name was Destiny? No, but she did escape. We were trying to load she her escaped. market. And she like wouldn't load. And I was just like, all right, whatever. It's fine. I'll leave the pasture open. Like, you know, we'll bring these guys. It's obviously going to be horrible if we try and like chase her down and stuff. So we just let her go. And I was like, all right, we'll see how you make it, you know, through the winter. If we can get a different butcher date, if it gets too cold for you. She's a Tamworth, which is a heritage breed. And they're just like hardcore. They're meant for this weather. So we obviously had a little hut for her and stuff. She doesn't was just, wasn't just like out there in the weather because she was a survivor. Um, we called her Destiny Child or Destiny. Um, and she was like, she was awesome. She was enormous. Um, and ultimately I loved her so much. Destiny was like, she was my vibe. She was like, she wouldn't get up before 11 o'clock in the morning if it was too hot or too cold. Like she would just kind of like chill. If she felt like it, she would just get out of wherever she was, but she would always like hang out nearby. So I would like get back from a grain run and I'd have this like 500 pound destiny, just like hanging out by the goat barn. Um, (laughs) she was awesome. I loved having her. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to be like our girl and you're going to be the one that's like, you know, producing piglets or just a pet, it's like a 500 pound pet is like a lot. And we were trying to like figure out, are we going to build this house? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? And ultimately I made the choice of being like, you know what? Like we've had a lovely time together. Like I love destiny. Like she's had an awesome life and she was meant, you know, to for this path. Anyways, it was a hard choice to do, but I made the choice to to butcher her. And it was when a time when like, like the next month, like some shit went down and we were in a really tough spot and it was destiny that actually got us through. Ah, oh, Lee, that is hardcore queen. That's like a, whoo, yes, honey. Um, I'm, you know, that's, that's why you get the big bucks, honey. Okay, wait. So, okay. So, but now let's talk about like the ways, cause this is really cool. Yeah. So, because like you're talking about like the ancestral ways of like running the farm. So, what does it mean to have like a pre-industrial approach to farming? I'll give you a little bit background of what I mean by industrial. Right now, our food system makes food for grocery stores, right? And so, when you are whether you're you know making something by hand or you're making cereal or something, you're doing it all. 
so that it can be in a grocery store and that you can make the most profits in order for it to go through like that system. So, you know, a lot of farmers and a lot of farmers that are included in data um, in the U.S. are like farmers that are like monocropping, which means raising one big thing um, or maybe swapping out with two. I'm sure you saw a lot of that in and around Quincy. Corn and soy, corn and soy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so those people are, you know, they're creating like one thing that is either sold to a commodity market or is sold to, you know, a cereal maker or something. And then the cereal makes maker some makes something and then blah, blah, blah. So because that is an industry, because it's industrialized, when you bring in animals to it, whether it's dairy or whether it's meat, you've like kind of decoupled from them being able to be animals a lot of the time. So when we're not talking about small farms here, we're talking about like enormous farms, right? The ones that you like drive past in the summer, like on a road trip when you live in the Midwest, it's just like the corn as far as I can see, or like when it's wheat as far as I can see, or just those like really big fields with like one plant. Yes. Right? So they are exactly, they're a part of like, they make their living. It doesn't mean that they're bad people, but they make their living by being a part of this like larger industry. Right. So you, you specialize in this one thing, you specialize in this one thing, and we all make the most food possible, you know, to make us the most money possible in the grocery store. Um, and that basically just prioritizes making money. You know, it's capitalism. It's essentially colonialism. It's all of these things that like, I don't believe it and I don't like, and I'm trying to, you know, educate myself more about and to step farther and farther away while still kind of like claiming it as a part of, you know, my collective past as a white person. When we talk about pre-industrial farming, it's talking about how we as people used to farm before industry. It's like before grocery stores, before it was like, I'm the pig guy and I raised, you know, 1700 pigs. It's like, how did we farm when we were trying to feed our families? How did we farm when we were trying to feed our communities? It was almost like more like if you were to put like 2022 verbiage on that, it's giving me like more boutique vibes. Before we needed to be like, no, 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 we're, we're small and we're special because we're small, you know, which is like how surely our farm is seen. Um, but the way that you raise animals and the way that you approach farming is totally different. We don't have like a ton of infrastructure here, as you saw, but we work with animal behavior and we do a lot of of herdsmanship type of like educating and training. I don't know. Your infrastructure is pretty chic though. I just, I mean, I don't, I like, I mean, I love, I, I love you. Thank you. I, I was giving me infrastructure it was infrastructuring everywhere. I, there was like barns and ramps <laughs> and fucking all sorts. It was, it was giving me bona fide farm. It's more about like the values that you're focused on. Right. So like industrial farming, you're like, you know, how can I make this the most profitable? With pre-industrial type farming, whether it's my type of farming or someone else's, it's, you know, what is most aligned with my, you know, my values, which is like caring for animals, caring for humans, caring for the land and like being small in purpose. I, I love that. I think that one thing I've been spending so much time thinking about, especially lately, is like, as a non-binary person, like trying to get away from these like binary choices where it's like you can do multiple things at once. Like if it's an industrial farm, it's like 
if that is like all capitalism and like all the bottom line and it's okay for you to still like want to make money because we're in this capitalistic system but like how can you meld that with like transparency integrity authenticity I think that that makes it so much richer of an experience and it just makes like your product even better too which is amazing so when we first met you had said that you were a farmer doing farmer things living the farmer life who happens to be trans I love that line. It's like, again, like speaking of like paragraphs that you don't often hear in like everyday life, like a grouping of sentences. Um, can you explain that phrasing to us? Yeah, I think that it's, that's kind of like my attempt at or way of like injecting nuance into a space where a lot of people are like, this is Lee, he's a trans farmer, you know, who know nothing about the trans experience. And it's like, it, it's a way for me to say like, I, I am a farmer. I do all of the same things that other farmers do. I am different because I'm trans. And that's a huge part of my identity. It's not me saying like, oh, it doesn't matter that I'm trans. I'm a farmer first. It's a way for me to kind of like jump and get ahead of like, how do you do trans farming? You know, like what makes you different as a, as a trans farmer, which is a, a lot of questions that I get from people who aren't trans. Um, and I don't think that that's the right question. It's not, but um, I do think that you should tell them that there is a fun play on words there, but it's only for queer people to use. Uh, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. A million percent. Yes. It's just a whole like form versus farm. Like, you know, cause you could transform a plant from a seed to it. It's like, it is a, just the O to the A. She loves a vowel. <laughs> so basically it's your way of saying that like, this is an important part of who I am, but like, there are so many other parts of me that dictate and that inform my daily experience, like outside of my identity as a trans person that like, I also would like to talk about and be known as. Cause it's like, yes. Yeah. That was my cat in the background. We got our like dueling animals. Um, yes. She's outside the door screen yelling. Cause I won't let her in. So <laughs> what does it mean for you to hold that identity? I also think that one thing about New York that's interesting is that like, Oftentimes it's like the same as Illinois. Like people are like, oh, Chicago, super liberal. Oh, New York, New York yeah. City, super liberal. But like once you leave that dense urban center, it gets conservative fast. For me, I kind of had to work through a lot. I came out later in life. I actually came out when I was here on the farm um, and, and transitioned out here and everything. I was so excited to like, you know, embrace this part of myself. Um, and I would see like other people marching or going to pride parades or, you know, doing like fun potluck things like within the community. And like, I couldn't do them because I was milking, you know, like I was literally milking goats or like, you know, I couldn't leave the farm because I was waiting for, you know, someone to give birth or like I had to, you know, do chores or shut the goats in or whatever. And so in, in looking at all of that and feeling like, you know, I was like outside of this community and at the same time, not doing enough for us. Really what that became for me is understanding that like, I hold space for that and I'm a radical person for, for just existing out here. And it's enough for me to do that, to hold space for my trans identity and to be doing what I'm doing out here and that like, that's moving us forward, right? As long as people see me doing what I'm doing, 
I'm, I'm helping. I'm moving us forward. So the internally, I, I think like, you know, in speaking to the queer community, I think a, a, a lot of us will understand that, that kind of, that tension. That's been a big thing. And then just generally, it's been important for me to just be a part of the community, not just because I'm like, hello, I'm your trans ambassador, which nobody likes being, um, but because I need my community. I'm a member of it and they need me. And so, you know, being an active part of that community, but also, you know, being visible and being trans um, and being myself and being authentic, not in a live your truth way, but in a, you know, I am between, you know, two milking shifts and I'm showing up to like the Stewart's, which is like the little bodega up here, you know, covered in mud, like that type of thing. That's been what's really important. And I think that there's a big distinction between assimilation, which is what in our queer history, we had like the Mattachine Society and a lot of what we did in order to gain gay marriage had a lot to do with like white gay men showing that they could like assimilate into society and be just the same as everyone else versus normalization, which is for, in my case, making it a normal thing that there's a transgender guy in a rural community. And so the more that we do, especially as rural members of, of the queer community to, to just, you know, exist and be out here, um, you know, that normalization, I think really does, move the needle. Um, and we can hold space there like for more radical things in the future, which is exciting. Yeah. A couple things stick out to me with yeah. that. Like one of the whole, like mm -hmm. this pull that I think so many queer people have, like, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And I think that like, yeah, be like living your truth, like being who you are and then doing what you have to do to be who you are, which is like going to the doctor, going to fucking going wherever you got to go. Like, cause I know like for me, when I grew up, like the couple times when I tried to like want to explore my gender identity and want to like, you know, be who I was like, I got like chased off the fucking street. Like as soon as I tried, yeah. so I was like, don't do it. But that is a huge act of bravery. So it's like, and I, I think that it has moved a little bit. I think maybe not you know, in certain spaces, but doing that is so much. There's a million ways that you can, that you can move that needle. And I think that we need to like be more compassionate with ourselves as queer people, like, cause it's a lot just anyway. So like just, you know, taking a little off the fastball at ourselves, being more compassionate with ourselves yeah. that came out for me. Another thing that came out for me was like, where are you from again? I'm from around Albany. I'm from just south of Albany in upstate New York. Because you said potlucking and potlucking was giving me some hardcore Midwestern vibes. I was like, are you from Indiana? Like at some point, <laughs> but you're like, I want to go to the potluck and I couldn't because I was like working. It's like, I feel like I would be like, I wanted to go to the club because, but I couldn't, you're like, I didn't fuck the club. I want to go to the potluck. Like who is bringing yeah. the treats? I want to see who's got these fucking treats from around here. I just really love yes. you. You said that you came out while on the farm, which is really cool. So what was that experience like? The second I started showing my gender in middle school, um, in the nineties, um, it did not go well. I, you know, got pretty hardcore bullied and stuff. The people that loved me, you know, as their way to try and help basically just were like, you'll be safe if you're just like hyper, hyper feminine. Um, and so while I could never really pull off like the hyper feminine, like I did sexualize my body, um, 
And like, you know, it was the time of Delia's catalogs and like crop tops and Jinkos and, you know, all of that stuff. It was a terrible time for so it many reasons outside of, <laughs> outside of like the confines of like gender identity. But like mm-hmm. we were forced to wear jean coats. And if there's young people listening to this, I don't know if you know what that was fucking like, but these jeans were not cute. And everyone forced them down our throat and said they were cute and they weren't. Okay. And they're about to come back. So just brace your fucking selves. Okay. With Jesus like the wallets, Christ. with the chains on. Oh, them. the yeah. wallets! I'm getting yeah. the chills. These yeah. young people don't even know anything <laughs> about it these days. But anyway, so you so you were kind of dealing with that. So you were kind of like trying yeah. to figure out like how to conform or like assimilate into this yes. rigid yes. gender norm. Ooh, that was very important to pull that out because yeah, and that's like I never actually put it into those words. But yeah, it's one of the reasons why I hate assimilation because I tried so hard to do it for my whole life, and that was really how I kind of got by and felt safe because also what was happening in the nineties, as you remember, was Matthew Shepard, the movie boys don't cry, which is literally just like trauma porn on a trans man. Like, I mean, everything was really scary. And so I just, you know, tried to assimilate and pass as this woman, you know, for so long um, that like when I finally got up here and I was alone, I did this, you know, I don't have a partner. I don't have, you know, I didn't open the farm with anybody. It's just me. Um, and now I have staff members, which is awesome, but like I ha- spent enough time alone that like I made a little bit of space for myself. And then once I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Like, um, I've, I've been a man the whole time. I also carried a lot of internalized stuff with me. The feeling for me was, was a lot of fear. And eventually, you know, I, was like, I could either, you know, be accepted by other people, but like, you know, hate who I am internally or, you know, in my head, this is not the way it is, folks, but like in my head, be hated by all of these other people and, you know, have them think I'm disgusting, blah, 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 but be happy and content um, with who I am. And ultimately, you know, I chose to come out you know, I was like, I don't know self-defense. I have to learn self-defense before I, <laughs> before I got, here's my ass, like moving 800 pound round bales by myself up hills. And it's like, I need to learn self-defense. It was a lot of internalized fear and a lot of internalized nonsense. Um, but once I actually did, you know, I, I just kind of went about my business. Um, I did start medically transitioning with HRT, um, you know, but I waited until, there were, you know, physical changes and where, whether, where I was, you know, felt comfortable enough talking about it. So, you know, when somebody would say like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you sound like you have a cold, you know, that's when I would be like, no, I'm trans, I'm on testosterone. It's fine. But I had months to live with it. And because I was comfortable with the way that I wanted to move through the world, it actually made other people very comfortable with it as well. And I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to be dead named all the time. I'm going to be misgendered. People aren't going to respect, you know, where I'm at. And like, let me tell you, Jonathan, that was not the case at all. I had, you know, 80 year old men that I was buying grain from at the time who was like, oh, it's he. Okay. You know, and, and just like, and switched it. Like if Bill can get on board, like really anybody can. I was worried about, you know, my, my, Hey, we don't do hay here. Uh, we have to buy it in. I was worried about, you know, was I going to lose access to this hay? This was during the Trump era when I came out. 
Um, and one of the guys was like a really big Trump fan. And I, there were like two guys that kind of ran the business. I mentioned to one, Oh, Hey, by the way. And then the next time when the other guy came around and I was so worried about it, he literally did a pronoun check. He was like, I just want to make sure. So I just say Lee and I say, and I say him and I said, yeah. And he was like, okay, that's great. So I think that I'm probably a little notorious and that like, you know, people talk about like somebody new in town, you know, I'm not new anymore, but like the trans guy in town, I'm also not the only trans person in town. You mentioned earlier, like as a white person, that's like a thing. And then there's also mm-hmm. like the trans masculine thing versus like trans feminine rural community. Like there, yes. so there, there are differences. But one thing that I think is really important and really cool is you came out like whilst living on Moxie Ridge, like the same place where you live now. So you came Correct. out and like did not leave your rural community. In fact, you only became like more integrated and had a better experience. Like things have only been better since. So that whole like, you know, false evidence appearing real, like fear that you had about like, oh, I could either live my authentic life, but everyone's going to reject me. That wasn't true. You were able to live your authentic life and you've been on the most part embraced by the community and felt, you know, respected in your experience. Correct. Yep, absolutely. And I just think it's cool. It's like so often, you know, and even part of my story is I felt like I had to like leave where I was in order to find Mm -hmm. my truth. And I just think that like, a lot of times we do not hear stories of queer people in rural spaces thriving where they are. And I think that we do need to hear more of that for a few reasons. Not exactly mm-hmm. in your, well, actually in your case too, because I was thinking like, you know, swing states, we got to like reach out to our people in swing states that are going through it. But also this is the least Stefanik. And I sometimes when I feel like really friendly with someone, I want to be like, bitch, but then I'm like, I'm not like, it's only like the third time we've like got to like, I'm not gonna, but I was about to be like, yeah, no, that fucking lady, she's a nightmare, that replacement theory nightmare. I'm excited for the primary though. Whatever Democrat wins, we got to like, bad baby that Elise out of there, honey. She's a nightmare. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was like a voting bad baby, not a literal snacking bad baby, just like a voting smacking out of there. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that experience with us. I really appreciate it. I also saw on the gram, because obviously we follow, we love, there is a story about crowdfunding for a security system. Do you need me to come up there and like dress up in all black and like due to the squash bore vine moss, but to the people, which means that I'll have my needle full of BT and I'll like stab them with like BT pesticide in the neck. I mean, I would be fine if you just like came back in that amazing spearmint one piece ski suit sometime because that was like, that was a vision. It was especially surrounded by goats. I wore a fluorescent green ski suit um, to Lee's farm um, and it was epic. Our outfits were epic. So we talked about how I'm like, okay, being me being visible as a trans person farming, like that's actually a part of the farm's mission at this point. Um, because I feel like that's how I can kind of like make, make my change, um, as a queer person. And also we're in this timeline of like 2022 and like, Jonathan, why are they obsessed with us? Like people are obsessed with trans bodies. Like people are obsessed with hating trans bodies. They're obsessed with controlling trans bodies. Like they are obsessed with us. And so as I'm like, having my healing and being like, it's safe to be seen. Like at the same time, everybody is like, ah, so that has been really interesting. We had the opportunity, um, to get 
a, a marketing grant through um, a, a Dairy Business Innovation Center here in the Northeast. And as a part of that grant um, to support the farm and our cheese, we were able to get a PR uh, company. And so I'm like very excited because I'm excited. I'm like, I'm ready to be fancy. Um, but I found myself really freaking out. I would like wake up in the morning and I would be so, so, so stressed thinking about, you know, what's going to happen when our podcast comes out, you know, what's going to happen if I get, you know, press in a magazine or something. And my community, as I've talked about, has been amazing and very welcoming. And it is a true community. If I need something, I can ask if, if people need something, they can ask me like, it's amazing. I'm not, I don't need a security system for my neighbors. What I'm concerned about is like keyboard warriors. And, you know, it's, it's the law that like on all of my cheeses, I have to put my address and, and it's a farmstead. So I, that's my house. You know, I have 700 feet of road frontage. And as things get weirder and weirder, and as the hate gets hotter and hotter, you know, all it takes is one person making a comment, you know, on a Facebook article that I have no control over, you know, tagging a nasty politician or tagging a nasty influencer or putting it up on, you know, a bad Reddit thread. And then all of a sudden, you know, not only my docs, but my animals could be in danger. I could be in danger. You know, it's like, uh, it should be every person's right in the country to like live with your doors unlocked. And let me tell you, I don't, you know, so as I'm like, okay, this is my journey. Like I want people to see a trans person just like being okay and thriving and seeing trans joy and doing this very specialized type of work, which I'm very good at. At the same time, I was literally like, I could get really hurt. So I needed the help of my therapist, but eventually I was like, when I was like freaking out and I'm like, I don't feel safe. I don't, you know, this, that, the other thing. She was like, could you just ask people for help? And I was like, I can't. Oh. I mean, I guess that I could. Um, and so, because I don't like to tokenize my transness, um, but I felt like this was an appropriate way for me to do it and feel good. So we did put up a GoFundMe and, you know, the, the, the main thing that we needed was, you know, a fence and some cameras and some lights, um, new locks, and then, you know, moving the driveway a little bit farther away then once that stuff is all there, which turns out is way more expensive than I thought, um, you know, we're hoping to be able to like welcome visitors to the farm because right now we don't have visitors on the farm. Um, so now we're at a point where like, if we can make this less of a survival thing and more of a thriving thing, um, then we can get to a point where we can like welcome people, educate people, have retreats for queer kids um, that want to live out here. So we can get our education up and going. It's been a really lovely surprise with everything that's been going on. The support that's just coming from not just people that, that know me and love the business or love the cheese or love the goats, but like from just strangers who want to see a trans business, you know, do well and like just exist. Y'all, you heard it. We got to support we're obsessed. So also we love Queer Joy. And I just heard you mention Queer Joy. We're obsessed with Queer Joy. We got to talk to Elliot Treefer and Patty Cajian about finding Queer Joy in nature, which like queer mushrooms, so fierce. When you think about nature, like what joys does it hold for you? Like what's your pumpkins? That's such a lovely way to ask it. I think there are a couple 
of different things that really lock in for me. Um, in nature, nature, which like, you know, is not a farm. Um, the farm is surrounded by nature. Farm has nature elements in it, um, to me. Um, but when I'm out in nature, like I like to just sit. I like to be still. Like I hate hiking. I hate trying to do things. I hate like the hustle vibe in nature. I hate a hike. I've never hated anything worse than I hate to go hiking. Yes, same. So big. It makes it very difficult to date up here. I'll go like um, sit in nature. I'll go like sit yes. there and like eat some yes. food or whatever, or like maybe look for mm. like look for something. Like you know, I don't want to go just like walk. I go on a fucking treadmill. It's like closer. I'll knock it out in twenty minutes. I hate. Mm-hmm. I, and also, I've realized too, as a thirty-five year old, like anything that takes more than like forty-five minutes that isn't like me performing. Or entertaining. Like, so basically, like, if, it, if it's, like, sex, food, working out, sex, food, working out. Yeah, I don't want any of that shit to take more than 45 minutes. Like, mm-hmm. 45 minutes. Like, that's what I can give you. And hiking, these fuckers are going on <laughs> hikes for fucking hours. Like, just going to walk yep. for hours. I would rather eat shit and die. Anthony and his gorgeous boyfriend just went to Peru. Oh, wow. You, the country of Peru would have to pay me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you would have to pay me to go hike in Peru. Like, nothing against Peru. I just don't want to go fucking walk that long, okay? I'm sorry you triggered me. I, you said hike. I freaked out. Oh, going back to I'm with you. queer joy and, with you. And, and on farms. But what are your pumpkins? I feel like if I had to guess, I feel like you just, like, love those goats. I feel like you really love yeah, the goats. Yeah, I would say my pumpkins are are like absolutely my guts. Everybody has a name. I love being able to like, you know, to be out with them. One of my heroes and one of the reasons why I kind of empowered myself to try doing this is Temple Grandin. And she writes a lot about animal behavior. And she is an autistic person, um, was able to identify a lot of things that like, neurotypical people that have been working with livestock historically, like never saw, um, or at least on a larger scale. And so it's really beautiful to just like go out, walk, you know, not working, not doing anything. You know, if I need a moment to myself to just go and walk with the goats, you know, it's, it's an incredible experience to have, you know, to go on a walk with 42 creatures whom you love dearly and whom love you dearly, you know, at like, and just to exist. I learn from my goats constantly. I'm, and I'm obsessed with goats. I could talk about goats like forever, but I promise you I won't today. One of the things that I've learned is like they, I have anxiety. I have a bunch of different stuff, but like anxiety is one of the things. And that means that like I'm constantly processing things either forward in time or backward in time because I'm concerned. But when I'm with the goats, like, their brains work the same way, but it's lateral. So I'm still processing the same amount of stuff, but it's all happening like at the same time. And I feel really relaxed and at home, right? Because I don't have to change who I am. It actually makes me better at working with goats and herdsmanships because my brain works this way. Um, so goats to me are, you know, incredibly, incredibly important and they give me back a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm also just obsessed with them. I mean, they're so cute. I can understand how it could happen. Mm-hmm. So, like, earlier this year, we got to interview Professor Gabe Rosenberg, who you also know, who we love so much, all about gender, sex, sexuality, and farming. You're an expert on this topic from a different angle. Um, 
What do you think sex and gender have to do with farming? So for me, I mean, I like, I'm alone up here a lot. So like, I think a lot about this stuff. Um, And I think that in our Western culture, in, you know, our colonized culture um, that grew up with livestock, I mean, it's how we were able to like evolve. Um, It was very important for us to say this animal can make a baby, but will not carry it. And this animal can carry a baby, but cannot make it with somebody else. And in order to appropriately and responsibly manage animals that you're working with, you can't just constantly have an animal pregnant all the time. It's not good for them. You can't have an animal that's pregnant too young or too small. It's, it's hurtful to them. Um, so we needed to separate the animals that could be pregnant and the animals that could make other animals pregnant, right? And that was very, very, very important. It was important for well-being. It was important for us. It was important for everything. Plus, when we're talking about, you know, goats are the longest um, domesticated livestock animal. Like, goats are an incredibly big part of cultures, like, historically around the world. And one of the things that we get from goats is milk. And, like, the there's only some goats that are going to milk, right? The male goats are not going to milk. And so we need to separate them for those reasons. And so when we have a, a culture that literally over thousands and thousands of years grows up with this, it's not surprising that we then take a binary that we put on of our, onto our animals for these very specific reasons onto people. And then when we have a society where it's very important for, you know, wealthy men, especially wealthy white men to stay in control that like, I think a lot of misogyny comes from our livestock roots. It doesn't make livestock bad, but it absolutely, when we talk about like good breeding, you know, when we talk about like, Oh, like that, you know, this woman is acting out. She shouldn't do that. Or like, you need to get a good husband. You know, it's, you're treating women like, like literal livestock, you know, and I don't mean in, in the like, you know, you're treating me like an animal. I mean, you're literally treating and categorizing and marrying women off like you are, are treating your livestock. And so that is something that I think about really deeply in terms of misogyny, how different genders are treated, how there's no space made for genders other than men and women because we're so focused on can this livestock procreate and what is its role, right? So that if you don't, then, you know, then you kind of like don't know what to do with that animal. If you're, you know, if you're a small family living in, you know, wherever, England or Sweden, or you're like, I don't know what this is going to do. I guess we'll, I guess we'll just like keep him for a pet or eat him. And so it's interesting to think about that, like, we're literally just treating ourselves like more animals, or at least the people that have historically been in control have been treating the rest of us like livestock um, and not the way that I treat my livestock and not the way that <laughs> livestock gets treated well, you know? And so I think that there's a lot of compassion to be had either way for that. But I also think it's so important that we recognize that, like, so much of this misogyny comes from this type of control and management. Mm. 
Wow. Why do you think that farming is so compelling to queer people? I think that, I think that we've always been farming. I think we've always been out here. I think that we have not necessarily been able to, to safely live or tell our stories or document ourselves, but I think we've always been doing it. Um, and so, you know, in this way, it kind of goes back to your question about like, why do I say like, I'm a farmer doing farmer things like that people who are like called to a certain way of life, whether it's farming, working with animals, whatever, like that's you no matter what, it doesn't matter if you're queer or not, um, that your experience will be totally different as you move through the world because you're different. But you know, I don't necessarily think that like, it's like, oh, all of these, you know, new farmers are queer. I think we've been doing it forever. I think mm. that in our society in the United States, we've been totally disassociated from our food because of this industrialized food system. And so we haven't thought that farming is viable. So we're getting to a point where with queer people and non-queer people, we're realizing like, oh, we, you don't have to have a legacy to be a farmer. You can just go out and farm. I think specifically for queer people, we are more, we're more used to operating on the outsides of things. We're more used to, you know, having to take risks or being forced to take risks or being, having to figure out our own philosophies sooner in life or, you know, in a more structured way. And that that is what drives us to say, well, I don't believe in eating this kind of meat. Like I want to be able to raise it in this way. Or I don't believe in treating the land in this way. I want to be able to do this. Or I don't believe in working for this huge corporation. I want to be able to feed my community. And so I think we come to these ideas in a, in a different way. We're certainly not the only ones that do. Um, but I also think the more visible we are as queer people in rural areas, and the more that, that people like you lift us up, the more we're going to see these farmers. Um, and I think it's really important. I think queer farming is, is, we don't, we don't farm differently, you know, because we're queer. We don't carry a bucket differently because we're queer. We're not like, oh shit, I got to get home and like do my gay farming, you know, but we, we move through the world. If I was a farmer, I probably would. I feel like I would carry my bucket like this. Like, I feel like I would have like one hand to the left. Like, I feel like I would be breaking wrist with the left and I would be like, when I probably have heels and they'd be ruined. So I'd be pissed. If I was a farmer, I feel like those stereotypical things would apply, but like only just that happen. It could be like a femme farmer on like a teeny tiny farm, but I feel like what you're saying is like 100% true. It's just that like, I probably would carry the bucket different because I just am really femme and I can't help it. It's just whatever. Not the point. <laughs> okay. So, but what would you say to people that like, people that are just like, uh, like meat, I feel sad, but I eat it. You know, uh, like I feel sad, but I eat it, which is like, I do that. Like I was vegan for four years and now I, you know, just really compartmentalize it into this other part of my brain and I'm like, bacon. So what advice would you give to people that are trying to make more ethical meat and dairy consumption choices? I would say like this, like the really short Cliff Notes version to like empower people to start off on this journey is, you know, to step back from like meat that you get in a grocery store, you know? like set back from meat that you get from just larger companies. Um, because there's no way to know, you know, for sure that that meat was treated well. You generally don't even know where it comes from. If you want to be consuming meat in a more ethical way, think about what you deeply care about and then look at 
people that are out there raising me in that way. If you're like, I don't do it because like, I, you know, I, I think that they have terrible lives. You know, there's a tons of farmers like me out here that it's like, we literally like, we're out here like frolicking with the ghosts, making sure that they have like an awesome time. And so do we, you know, everybody gets head scratches, everybody gets names. Um, the, there are people that are doing this and, and by you listening to yourself, listening to your gut, listening to your truth and stepping forward and saying like, I don't like this and finding those people to support, you're actually making a change. You're supporting these people. You're making these people, you know, take up maybe a little bit bigger corner of the market, not because they're going to get huge and become corporations, but because there's going to be more people that are inspired to do it and there will be space for them. So that's like, I would say if you want to get into to ethical meat, you don't have to watch horrible videos all the time. Think about what you deeply care about and then find someone that's making that food in the way that you're doing it and prioritize that. Which can maybe be like farmer's markets vibes, like go to for more yes. farmer's markets like locally and like that could probably yeah. be a way to find the, more of those like ethical sources. So now because we're yeah. like starting to approach that and I need to. So here's one thing. We have to do a second episode about cheese making because I didn't even get there because we had to talk about like all these yes. other like, you know, you know, more important things like identity and like all these, which are important, but like arguably like, so is cheese fucking making. Okay. Like I'm my curiosity, like I need to know the difference between like feta and all these other kinds. And like, and then you were like cheddar, but then I was like, is there sheep cheddar? But I didn't even get to ask. So that's going to have to be part two. Like we're just, it, there's no time for us to do that. Yeah. But now I do have a quick lightning round for goats. Cause like, I can't, We'll probably yes. talk more about goats and tube. Like, I just, I can't leave without knowing about this. Okay. You said that that one queen who had triplets got dethroned. So, like, queens really do exist. But then, can a queen get dethroned? And then, like, will they turn on her and kill her? And she has to, like, be, or does she just get lonely? Or neither. She's still a part of the group. There's just, like, a bigger bitch in town. There's a bigger bitch in town. Basically, like, there's a super, super, super like complicated social hierarchy. Everybody has a role in it. If you want to move up, you need to like bump some other girl down. And what does that look like? Is that headbutts? Is it a fight? It looks like honestly like unicorn fights. Like they go up on their hind legs and they bring their heads together and they go down. Like they don't run and ram like sheep. They go like this and they go like that. And does one get knocked unconscious and that's who loses? Oh. Nope. That's just like, you know, when you watch nature documentaries and it's like the gazelle fighting for dominant like that's what it is they're like they're working it out how do you know who wins uh you know who wins because one will just like walk away and the other one will be like bitch like and uh. so they'll just like move up and so they'll find like be like oh you're not feeling well today oh i would like your spot like we're gonna do it and you just have to be like okay i respect your hierarchy does the former queen ever come back and challenge the one that took her spot when she wasn't feeling good Yep. Queens usually don't change that much. Like with little sister, we had a, t a queen called Tinkerbell. Like they just kind of like got older and retired and are like, I'm really not into like all of this drama right now. And like the younger girls are like, fantastic. I'm ready. So now we have Benny. Now we have Kathy. So there can be multiple queens at once. In my herd, we always have more than one queen, which is interesting. And then we also have like lieutenants, like the girls that will like look after the queens and are like, don't mess with me. Like I get special treatment. Cause I'm friends with the queen. Right. But like are not interested in the responsibility. Like what are the other titles? So we've got the queens, we've got lieutenants. Interestingly, this is also the case in, and the buck herds, buck is the male goat. So like there's, we have like buck city over here and like Timmy's the queen. Uh, Timmy's my boy. He's like my first pet goat. Um, within like that hierarchy, you know, it's, it's literally 
you have some girls that are like, okay, I'm kind of mid or I'm going to be, you know, playing lookout today, but we don't necessarily have like, this is you, you're the lookout, right? I was thinking like Jack, queen, king, like there's like a top and a bottom, but there's like a whole spectrum between. You could look at it like a deck of cards because like, yeah, there's no moving, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, uh, a two of spades, like there's not a day where you're going to be the four. Like, no, that's it. That's you. And if you want to move up, then you need to then knock you need the to, three like, down. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever seen like a lowly one, like a three or whatever, go like knock the queen and be like, bitch, I'm the queen. I had it. Yes. They don't, uh, it doesn't often work out, but like that is a way to be like, oh, you want to just like, like skip the grind and just like go, like you so can it's try. Possible. And then are the ones who are more like lowly, like the threes, fours, because you said lookout, do they have to like look out? Is that like the, like the biggest loser position is like having to be a lookout? Like no one wants to do no, that. That's something that like everybody does and depending on where you're at. So like, you know how goat sides have like the pupil that's really long. Yes. Which like, by the way, also horses have, also sheep have, but like, because goats look us in the eye, we're like, oh, goat sides are so weird. Um, that's like a panoramic pupil. And so they can see like side to side really well. They can't see up and down, like above themselves really well. That's because when they're out grazing, they want to be able to like keep an eye on everything. So yeah. when you're out grazing and you're at the outside, it's now your role to, no matter where you're at in the herd to like keep a lookout. Ah, uh, okay. So maybe when we talk about cheese making, we're going to talk about like goat fucking a little more. Cause I am curious about just like how they decide to fuck and stuff. And like when you bring them it's together, like not to be so crude about fucking, but like we are interested in sex around here. Like we're humans. It's like rate us our like give us your worst, whatever. I just am obsessed with you so much. I feel like I learned so much, Lee Hennessy. I can't stand it. So, because uh, what's next for you and Moxie Ridge Farm and Creamery, and how can people support you in the farm? Awesome. Um, the as a part of our our very fancy uh, marketing grant, where we've got a new website that'll be up in June. Um, so the best way that, um, that people can support us is to um, sign up for the newsletter on our website, and then we can keep in touch. With everything that we're doing, we're starting a mutual aid project that I would love some community help on. Um, and you can help us with our GoFundMe. Can you send cheese through the mail? Like, or can, or do people have to come to Union Square right now? We are not shipping cheese right now. Um, but we'll be shipping cheese like around the holidays, but Beer. we'll be also making a bunch of other stuff that we can ship. We do soaps from our goat or from our goat milk. We do, you know, wool, we do all sorts of stuff. Wool. So and we're like opening like this really fancy little shop for like, not just our own handmade stuff, but like a bunch of other people's handmade stuff across the world. So like, yeah, definitely like check in. You can follow us on Instagram. Like that would be all of those ways can really um, help support us. And, you know, if you see something that we're doing that's really interesting, um, you know, feel free to to share it to to another queer that is like, that has country dreams because you can do it. And like, how about that? Because the GoFundMe is still going for the security system, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. So we're about, hopefully about to start like the construction on the fence. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting like electricity into barns and stuff like that. So yeah, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to come and visit. I'm like, well, you're going to have to. So yeah, that would be a big help as well. I have a little thank you present for you though, really quick. 
Yes, Lee Hennessy, thank you so much for your time and just for so like kindly sharing your like knowledge with us. And but I don't because what's your do I got some cheese coming my way? What's my press? You said no, 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 no. Hang on a second. You remember remember when you were here and you had like a couple goats choose you as their person? They're yes. like, oh my god, they're so sweet. I went okay. So hang on. Oh my gosh, what is it? So this little baby boo is the daughter of the goat named Sully who is obsessed with you. And look, she's like so extra. She has like these super extra markings on her face. And so my, my gift to you is you get to name her. You don't have to do it today. Think about it. Names are important. Can we request that she's not a meat goat? Can she be a girl? Can she be she's the a dairy goat? goat. Thank she's God, going dairy. She's so dairy. Mom. She's so dairy yeah. with mom. Yeah. Hi, little girl. And yeah. Sully's her mom. Sully is actually named after my mom. Oh, my cousin's name is Sullivan. So like, I love the name Sully. Um, That's amazing. Jane. You're Jane, honey. She's named after Jane Birkin. And really the Birkin oh bag. Gosh, but she's never going to be a bag because she's a dairy girl. Mm-mm. No, but she can accessorize because look at this. Like, she's really pulling it off. She's so, so cute. And yeah. you said you don't have pygmy goats because would a pygmy goat be better for me in my backyard? Like a mini goat? Yeah, you could pygmy goats and Nigerian dwarf goats, but I will tell you, like, they are all the chaos of a full goat, just like packed in like a half size body, and then like maybe more chaos. Mm. Um, they're amazing. We have some dwarfs here. They're I lovely. Like a cute fucking farm animal that doesn't fuck shit up. Why? Whose dick do I gotta suck to get a goddamn <laughs> fucking little farm animal that won't fuck it? There's not too much. I mean, you just can't have everything. You know, I, sometimes I think because I'm non-binary, I'm like, why do I have to choose? But alas, the human experience involves choice. Lee Hennessy, we love you. We love Jane. Miss Birkin, you're everything. I'm so excited. Your nose is Ted I for that nose. I want to give her the biggest goat nose kiss. Did she get her feed to prevent the crux and osmosis or whatever? Uh, yes. So she cannot get diarrhea. Nurses, she's doing great. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's like, she was just born. Like Sully was like, oh, you're going on the podcast. Like, let me just birth my baby for you. She was just born a couple days ago. So she's still on milk. Her blow dries everything. No, she's gorgeous. We love you, Jane. I looked up and I was like, it's Jane. <laughs> couldn't help it. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to like bully my husband into letting us adopt another dog right now. And he thought of a really cute name for her, which is Brenda. And now I'm like, you named the fucking puppy. So like now we have to. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Brenda's amazing. like the best puppy name of all time. I love a human name for an animal. It's like my favorite. Oh, uh, we have, we have Kathy's. We have Brian. I love that. I, yeah. oh, Brian's a great yeah. goat name. Lee, we love you so much. You're the best. And just thank you so much for coming. I'm getting curious. Love you. Thank you so much, Jonathan. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Lee Hennessy. You'll find links to his work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music... Oh, Matilda, stop it. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. That is how we grow. And everybody wants to grow. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JBN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim.